I uh, feel extremely grateful to be here tonight to address you guys. Is this coming in and out? Okay, so I want to keep terrific. Um, I look out in the audience and I recognize some friends and new faces that I haven't met before. And all I can tell you is living in Tahoe is incredible. I came here uh, to visit my parents and I fell in love with the land. I've stayed here because of the people, because of my community. And I'm empowered to constantly try to rise to the occasion and be the best I can and, and be part of this beautiful place. <laughs> I think some of you know this picture. When I finished art school, let me take a step back. For the longest I can remember, art was the most important thing to me. Than what we have right in our backyard. 
I guess in some ways my heart reminds me to never, ever take any moment for granted. We go through some trouble to experience sunrises and sunsets. Why? It doesn't really matter where it is. It's probably more than anything because it reminds us of the preciousness of that moment, how elusive it is. And it's a reminder to just grab a hold of it and live it and experience it and to taste it and to share it. As you know, Tahoe seems to attract extraordinary individuals. I was there when Jim Rippey, local Truckee resident, was the first person on planet Earth to do a backflip on a snowmobile. Now you might ask why the somebody wanted to do a backflip on a snowmobile. That's a very good question. Um, it took him five attempts to stick it, and a lifetime of preparation, baby steps, step by step, developing the perspective so he could see doing it. Now all the athletes that I work with share this understanding. They, they, they know where the boundaries are, and something inside of them drives them to do something more, to push their limits, to try a way to break through and be the first to do something. My guess is most of you also know who Shane McConkie was. This was a picture that was taken of him early on in his career. He went on from this point to spend the next 10 years learning how to fly. If you don't believe me, go on the internet, Google his name, and see what he saw. He had a helmet cab that he put on his head, and he literally created a suit that he could fly through space with. He paid for that with a dear, dear price, but he lived on such a rich, rich level. And maybe that was the curse, because it was the intensity of living those moments was so powerful that he couldn't let go, and he had to keep pursuing it. Now, one thing I know for sure is these, all these individuals, these athletes who do these things, have an incredible focus. They are driven beyond anything around them to do something that no one's ever done before. But they never, ever do it alone. They have a tribe. They have friends, they have families, they have peers. These are people who support them, encourage them, help them, pick them up when they fall. Anybody heard of Johnny Mosley? <laughs> okay, another one of our amazing local athletes. He won a gold medal back in the Nagano Olympics a number of years ago. And he's gone on to make an incredible career of being the friendly, loving guy next door. And he's been on the um, late night show, and he's had his own TV shows, he's done a bunch of stuff. And he's always presented this happy-go-lucky guy who's willing to do anything to make it happen. And he encourages others to be the best they can. These are my heroes, and they're people who, who push limits, but they also reach out and help other people along. So what we have in common. Now, for so long, I was the observer. I never saw myself as someone who do, who do these kind of things. In fact, quite frankly, whenever I saw them do these stunts, they would explain to me what they were going to do so we could coordinate the camera. And then I realized that I couldn't imagine possibly ever doing what they were going to do. I mean, it was impossible, and yet they would do it. So again, how do these people do these things? Through mindset, through baby steps, through focus and growth and perseverance. So when I got an opportunity to join an extraordinary group of locals on a mission that had never been done before, it seemed like a logical step for me. After all, my job was to go along and just take some pictures of them and use those pictures to help raise more funds so that they could do their primary mission. Their goal 
would you be the first adaptive athlete to ski to the South Pole? On the bottom left, you get Grant Corrigan, John Davis, the High Five logo. I'm in the middle, Tal Fletcher, Doug Stout, Petter Nyquist was our guy from Norway, and Tom Day, uh, just an amazing cinematographer and friend who I've traveled around the world. We are in Spitsbergen, and the mission that we were undertaking Excuse me. <laughs> See, Jose, I am nervous. <laughs> um, so there was all these things that we had to figure out to make it happen. Again, no one had ever done this before. So first we had to design a sit ski so that these people could actually do what they had to do. And when we went to set off on our first mission and everything was ready and we were all geared up, they took away Johnny's wheelchair and they took away Grant's crutches. We spent the week exploring and trying to see if they could do it. The goal was to see if they could push 10 miles a day, whether they could camp, whether they could deal with the cold weather. From my perspective, it was magical. This is four o'clock in the morning. There's a frozen ship, there's seals picking their heads up, and my team of four friends was pushing towards me. What isn't possible on this planet? Our next stop was Tahoe. We realized that because everybody came from here, we really wanted to reach out to our community, to our tribe, to our village, and ask for their support and help in making this trip happen. So they planned a circumnavigation of Lake Tahoe. And for four days, they circled around the lake, and we put the word out there. And as we did this adventure, the four guys kept pushing themselves and talking about what they had overcome. We invited our friends and family to come out and join us. And every day, more and more people came out and paddled with us um, and started basically going on this adventure. Now, I have already lived in Tahoe for over 20 years. I got to know Tahoe again from a whole new perspective, immersing myself and with my friends in this incredible environment. I also fell madly in love with the love that Grant and Shauna were sharing. Now, Grant was in a pretty bad snowmobile accident. The way it happened is he went out, he was filming with some friends, he tried to jump this giant gap, and he overshot his landing. In fact, he missed his landing by two feet, that much. When he came to, he was in the hospital, he had been care flighted there, he had no feeling through his belly button down. His wife of four months, his love was at his side. She looked into his eyes and said, don't you dare change our dreams. The doctor said he would probably never walk again, and they made a pledge to themselves that they would every single day use a positive focus to overcome this ailment. And when they got the opportunity to be part of this expedition, they saw this as the, the perfect way to overcome this obstacle. Now, up until this point, I had no intention to go into the South Pole, just like I had no intention to climb Everest. I haven't even ever run a marathon. I kind of jokingly tell people I'm a couch warrior. My athletes do these incredible things, and I come along and I document them, and I photograph them, and I translate them. And I've been lucky. I've been given helicopters and boats and jet skis and anything I needed so that I could participate, but I never had to actually do it. It was my safety net. Well, at the end of that trip around Lake Tahoe, a couple of the teammates started talking about who they were going to find to photograph the actual trip to the South Pole. And I started listening, and I'm like, wait a minute, someone's going to actually finish my job because I can't? Can you imagine that? 
And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that as scared as I was to do something I've never done before, there was no way I was going to let somebody else finish my job. So I went to our expedition leader, Doug Stout, and I said, Doug, I gotta go. I wanna be on this trip. And he looked at me and he said, no. I said, excuse me. Seriously, he said, no. I said, why not? He goes, well, first of all, you're not in shape. Second of all, you're kind of a jump show. I said, excuse me? He goes, well, you leave your zippers open, you drop your cameras, you do things. I mean, you're really, you're an amazing artist. You don't exactly have all your stuff together, and out there you'll die if you do that, and I won't hate you. Well, of course, all I heard was, no. So, I said, no way. I'm going to do this. And I circled around back to the other teammates, and they all said, you can do this. you got to do this. you got to come with us. You're part of this. Now, let me remind you, none of them have ever done this before. So, anyways, I listened to them. I convinced Doug to give me a shot. And I had a month and a half to get up to shape. And we had our last trip down to Patagonia. And I was gonna be, it was going to be a test. And if I could keep up and convinced him that I was ready, then I would get my shot. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you committed yourself to doing something that you weren't sure you could do? I mean, really committed yourself, knowing that you couldn't back out, but you weren't sure you could make it happen. I mean, if, if I'm like most of you, you kind of put one foot in, right? One foot in, and you're, I'm going to do this and tell the whole world, but you kind of safety net, I can get out. That wasn't going to happen. And uh, I woke up the next day really scared. So I became incredibly focused. I decided that there was nothing more important in my life in this moment to do this, make it happen. So I went to the junkyard, based on some advice. I got a truck tire, I strapped it with cables to my waist, and I spent the next two and a half months dragging it to the top of the mountain. Five miles up and down. And as I'm, the first few times, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. <laughs> and every once in a while, people would come up to me and they'd be like, oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's my tire, don't worry about it. <laughs> and I got used to it. And all of a sudden, I could start seeing myself doing it. And after a couple of months, I was like, starting to feel pretty strong. So then I went to my friend's gym and there was a trainer that I grew I heard wonderful things about. And I asked him to help me get in more shape. And by this point, I've been riding my bike, and I'm running and dragging my tire, and I'm feeling <laughs> like I'm in the best shape of my life. And after the first day with my trainer, I could barely walk. <laughs> I came back two days later, and I was totally dejected. Because, and he looked at me, he goes, hey, as good as you are at your job, I'm really good at my job, and my job is to show you what you need to do to get better. It was another friend in my clan who helped me get ready. So the last day of the year, we all gathered in Punta Arenas, Chile, at the bottom of the world, and we got the last packings and things together, and we boarded the solution jet. And this is a picture of Shauna saying goodbye to Bran. With hindsight, all the different trips we did throughout the year to get ready, Shauna was always there. In fact, her support and her love and the way she affected Grant made the whole thing special. And yet, she was never really part of the story and we never really focused on it. So after flying across the ocean, landing that giant jet on ice runway, we had a night to prepare, then we got onto a DC-3 with skis on it and it flew us 
out onto the Antarctic Plateau, and we landed. This is 11 o'clock at night, and again, this is a place, at this time of night, the sun never sets, and it's probably 30, 40 below zero, and we land, I get out, and I got my big puffy jacket on, and I walk away from the crowd, call that a crowd, and I'm looking back, and I take this picture, and I'm thinking, all right, I got this, I'm ready, I've been preparing for it, and as scared as I was, I guess there's no turning back, and I'm feeling pretty good. And then the plane flew away. <laughs> it got smaller and smaller and smaller. So the first night, we decided we're going to do what we're going to have to do. And Doug, our leader, takes off, and we follow. And we, we know it's late at night, so we just wanted to get a few miles under our belt. And we pushed for three hours, and then we set up camp. And that night around camp, we're all busy doing the stuff that we've been practicing and training for. And finally, somebody asked the question that none of us dared ask. How far did we go? Mm. Well, we had pushed for three hours and we had gone less than a mile. <laughs> now, I'm an artist, not a mathematician, but I can do basic math. And I realized that at that pace, and we only had food for 12 nights, we weren't going to make it. No way. Um, so let's just say that the weight of the world was on our shoulders. Now, we had a satellite phone, and we knew that I could call in and get help and get pulled out if we had to, but nobody wanted to think about that. The next day, Grant got out there and pushed with the vengeance. And what we figured out is that the more he didn't have to stop, the more we just kept moving the whole day, the more effective we could be as a team, the more progress, the more miles we would have. Now, for the cameraman, we were making a movie. The idea is we want to share, um, hopefully by this next fall, this movie's going to come out, and we're going to be able to share with the world what is possible, or more importantly, anything is possible. So every one of the athletes had wireless mics, and we had two cameramen, and our job was to film as we went, but we couldn't get in their way, we couldn't stop them. Every day, Grant would push until he had nothing left. And when he was at the end of his reserves, he would signal to, to Doug and Tal, they would jump ahead, they would set up the tent, and with the last remaining energy, he would pull into camp, and within 30 seconds, he would be in a sleeping bag. At night it was fun. There was two tents, one for the production team and one for the other crew. And it was the one chance we got to talk. What I never realized, that is, even though this was a team effort, most of the time during the day we were by ourselves. And it was it really was a mental game. This was a place. I mean, I've been all over the world. I spent the last 20 years photographing amazing people doing incredible places and just fascinating places. But there was always something there. Okay, all of a sudden I found myself, this is 9,000 feet of solid ice. Okay, it's the equivalent of 11,000 feet when it comes to oxygen because most of the air is produced on the equator. So just breathing is difficult. But no matter where you turn, there's nothing to see. And then it goes to whiteouts. Okay, now with the wind blowing over your tracks, you can't tell forward or backwards. I mean, they're telling you we were burning 20,000 calories a day. We're dragging 120-pound sleds, 40 to 50 below zero, with the wind nuts blowing in your face. You can't tell you're making any progress. And yes, it was cold. It's hard to explain what cold really is, but I can tell you it makes it hard to think. There was days when we wake up in the morning and it was howling outside, and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. Get out. I'm going to stay in my sleeping bed. You guys go ahead. I'll hang out here for a while. Right? And then I remember Grant. And 
I'm like, you know what? If Grant can go, I'm gonna go. Again, this is a guy, he didn't have his legs. He was pushing with every ounce of his being. In addition, we were trying to film. So just functioning out there was, was difficult. So when I got inspired and I wanted to take a picture, I'd take my mitts off, okay? And the team would keep moving and I'd run alongside and I'd take photographs. I couldn't stop them. And I'd keep shooting. In about 45 seconds, it felt like someone was sticking needles in my hands. In a couple of minutes, I couldn't feel my hands. But it was just so amazing, because again, there was nothing to see except for the human spirit, the condition. And what I learned, it didn't matter if it was that big or that big, it still translated. And I was just touched and inspired, and all of a sudden I remembered, oh my god, I can see my camera, but I can't feel my hands. So I go back to my sled, I put my overcooked jacket on, my gloves, and I forced the blood back into my hands, I drink some tea, eat some food, have a little conversation with myself, I'm like, all right, I'm okay, I can make this. And I'd look up and they'd be that big. No. I would spend the next two hours chasing these guys, okay, just to catch up. And you would think the next time you got excited about taking a picture, you'd be like, oh, do I really want to chase again? <laughs> Somehow I kept forgetting. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, the team and how they operated, watching Tom Day function out there, we had to keep changing batteries. We had seven cameras, and they all failed at one point or another. Somehow we resuscitated them. There was no hiding out there. Now, I told you I was born and raised in Hawaii, right? When I look at this picture of myself, I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing? Where am I? What happened? You know? I wanted to take a photograph that shows people what nothingness looks like. Okay, it took me four days to rally the team to help me with this picture because they can't stop. And to set this picture up, we had to. So I gave an end of a string to Petter, and Petter skied around in a circle and made a perfect circle in the snow. And I had all my teammates stand around it. And then I took six pictures and we stitched it together. This is the push team on the Antarctic Plateau, and it's 360 degrees of nothingness. What Grant did was beyond anything I've ever seen or experienced in my life. Like again, I, I watched these amazing athletes do amazing things, and they're all driven by, by focus and positive, positive thoughts. But this was something more. I mean, at 40 or 50 below zero, there's so much friction, it's like you're on sandpaper. Or as Grant told, the people, told us, it was like he was pushing on Velcro over styrofoam. <laughs> and yet he never stopped. He just kept pushing. And I, I kept coming up to him once, and I heard him just kind of muttering, like, Grant, what are you saying to yourself? So I got a mantra I've been using. I go, what's that? Is? Possibility through positivity. Possibility through positivity. Possibility through positivity. Anything is possible if you're positive. And the people around you will feel it, and they'll feed off it, and they'll support you, and it'll grow. But it's like, okay, I get that, but... Is that really different than all these other people that I've seen? So I came up to him again, I'm like, come on, Grant, there's something more. How? He smiled and he said, love. So here we are at the end of our journey. That's the US Science Center. It's the last stretch, and right in front of that is, is the South Pole. And we've been preparing for this, all the camera around, we've got fresh batteries, everybody's mics going, and this is the home stretch. 
And at this moment, Grant turns to Tao on his right. And he says, I am so grateful. Without you guys, without everything we've done, this would be possible. I know this is a huge step in, in me getting back to being able to walk. And, and it's just an incredible moment in my life. But how is this possible that this is a transformational period in my life if my love, Sean, is not here? I mean, it doesn't make sense. This, this is wrong. It's not right. And he's kind of going on and on. And Tao looks at him and is like, dude, it's the South Pole. Can <laughs> you know? get it together, please? We'll make you a movie. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll see your wife in a week. You know, please. So he, he kind of buttons up. And uh, this he's now 100 feet from the pole. Incredibly. Grant, as planned, borrows a ski from, from Doug and from Tao. He stands up and he skis the 100 the last hundred feet to the pole. And he arrives exactly to the day when, when Scott skied to the pole hundred years ago. So it's an incredible celebration, right? We're firing away and there's a crowd that, that has formed outside Outside the station. <laughs> Every night we've been calling in on a cell phone, so everybody, they've been following our journey and we didn't realize it. And there's a hooded figure who comes up. And he comes up right up to Grant. And you can see Grant showing up. He comes right up to Grant, goes in for a hug. Grant gives a hug because he's hugging everybody, but he doesn't move away. And he's getting closer and closer. And he's like, that was kind of weird. <laughs> So then, it's Shauna, and she pulls away her mask. His wife and his love is there to celebrate this incredible moment. Of course, we all start to cry. All of a sudden, Tom is yelling, help, help. I'm like, what's up, Tom? I'm shooting. He's like, help. I'm like, what? He's like, he apparently, he was crying so hard that his, his tear froze his eyes. <laughs> so here I am with tea, pouring tea on his eyes and to get the camera off his face. <laughs> so what do you do after that, right? You get some great Facebook pictures. <laughs> so this is a GPS showing 98.0000. There's only one place on planet Earth where you can get that shot. This is Grant pole dancing around the South Pole. <laughs> this is Grant skiing around the South Pole. Or skiing around the world, if you will. This is our team standing around the South Pole. We're all standing in different time zones. <laughs> and lastly, we're high-fiving. The High Fives Foundation is based here in Truckee. They help athletes who suffer disabilitating um, injuries and help them get back on their life. And our goal of this movie is to spread the words so they can continue to impact people in, in a positive way. For me, it's the power of the spirit. Their love is what drove Grant. Now, I didn't mention this before. Johnny, in our last trip to Patagonia, got injured. And it was one of the hardest things for all of us to come to grips with that he couldn't go. And I know we struggled for, for months. And when we left for this trip, I'm saying to myself, God, how's this going to turn out positive? We just left my friend behind. And all I can tell you is the universe has a way. And as sad as it was that Grant, that Johnny couldn't come, because he couldn't come, we had an extra seat. We were able to have the surprise. 
And that's why this love story was able to prevail. So, in short, the most radical physical thing that I ever seen a human being do was trumped by love. Positivity, possibility through positivity. No matter what you guys do in your life, if you keep a positive focus, anything is possible. I think it's fair to say that my life has changed. Nothing is the same as it was before. I am no longer one of those people who allows myself to say I can't do something because I don't think I can. After all, being part of this and watching what Grant did, how could I possibly say that? And I went back and looked at my life and I realized that so often the, the limitations I set on myself, the boundaries that I set weren't real. It came from my head. What's so amazing for me now is how this is translating in my everyday as a creative. I'm going back to places I've been over and over again in my life, they don't look the same. Everything is different. Isn't that the beautiful thing about transformations? How about you in the audience? Do you remember those key transformational moments in your life that changed everything, that made everything possible going forward? So I got a question for you. Does it matter where the help comes from? Does Shane and Jim and Johnny Grant, all these people had help and support. If these guys didn't decide to go to the South Pole, and if I hadn't met Grant and Sean and my whole experience, I would never have pushed myself beyond that. They helped me make that leap. Without Sean, Grant would never have done this. He never made the effort. It's the help. It's the way we support each other. It's the way one person or a village can make a difference that can make everything possible going forward. What's so amazing right now is you can go watch Grant talk. And instead of using crutches, he's walking with a cane right now, folks. Okay? He's doing the impossible because he never gave up and he keeps pushing forward. And every single day, he's touching other people and encouraging them to face their fears and make it all happen. Two weeks ago, I went back to Sage Hen. This is the second time I've been there. Last year, I was touched deeply by the experience, and I got asked again to come and uh, be part of the interview process and meet the, the ten of you. And um, As we, I drove up there, I was just awed by the land again. And I remember my experiences from the year before, and I just remember how special and grounded it all felt. And um, we met in a group, and you know, we did some games to warm up. And then we, we met our individuals, and um, I met Jose. Yay, Jose. <laughs> awesome. And, you know, everybody else went and sat in chairs, and we went and sat on a block, and I'm like, I like this guy. And then, um, I saw myself in him, okay? And when I drove away, I was inspired. I remember random people I hadn't thought of in a long time who had touched me and pushed me and supported me, held my hand. When I was down or I was frustrated or I didn't see a way out, it gave me hope. It reminded me what it was all about. Okay? And without even realizing it, I was like, oh my God, I've become one of those people. And I just pledged myself to keep moving forward. A week later, 10 days later, these guys were out in the woods. They were up on the mountain for their second big trip. 
And luckily for me, they ended in Squaw Valley, and they came to the gallery. And they kind of strutted into the space, and you guys were not the same people that I saw a few days ago. <laughs> I mean, you know, I needed the shower, but, uh, but there was just, your eyes were wide open, there was a confidence, there was a beauty, and it's like, I'm like, oh, they've been to the mountain. Okay? And I was reminded about how special our land is. Okay? Gave me hope. Look, guys, it's real simple. The art program, it's a simple program. This is an incredible age you're at. It's an age that how you focus now, how you dream now, and how you realize your dreams now is not only going to impact your lives, it's not going to make a difference in everything you do. It's going to make a difference in everybody you touch. You're going to go back to your families and you're going to be like, oh my God, okay? And, and you're going to continue to grow and share that positive love and focus, and it's going to impact the world in an incredible way. How simple, right? This program, because of the, the teachers and the people who believe in it and who built it and who invest so much heart and soul in making this happen, makes it simple. Show up for 40 days. <laughs> Push yourself to do things you've never done before. Count on your teammates. Grow. Take chances. Risk. Do all those things. Okay? And, and, and become blossom into these amazing people that you already are and learn to fly. So what I say to all of you is again, it doesn't matter where the help comes from. This is such a simple way that we can continue to impact the world in a positive way. And it will it will spread out from here in so many different ways and change the world. So thank you. And um, I look forward to uh, to seeing what happens next. Yeah. <laughs>